Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Jacqueline Hackman. Dr. Hackman is a molecular and gastrointestinal pathologist. After seven years tenure at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, she has recently joined New Genomics as Director of Clinical Diagnostic Development. Her research interest is biomarker validation, including that of kinase fusions and microsatellite instability. Thank you, Dr. Heckman, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Neto. All right. Please call me, George. Okay. All right. So uh, this is uh, a great uh, review. Uh, I I learned a lot uh, reading it, and I'm sure uh, our audience uh, will appreciate it. Uh, And uh, by the way, it's an open access, and uh, so uh, everyone can can reach out uh, to the link and and learn uh, from this. So we'll try to cover it clearly. It's an expansive review. Uh, as as it should be, uh, and we have only uh, a short time. But let's start with uh, giving us like a little mini symposium on on uh, NTRUC, uh, which is uh, the topic of the review. Sure. Um, so I got involved originally with NTRUC testing when there was uh, some large clinical trials that uh, some important oncologists at MSKCC at the time, David Hyman worked there, who was spearheading, and I got involved from the testing point of view because it seems that drugs are often um, available either through a trial or FDA approved, sometimes before there's a good diagnostic test for it. And that happened with, kind, with a lot of these kind of fusions. So NTRAC fusions involve, there's three genes, NTRAC 1, 2, and 3. And these are receptor tyrosine kinases and that, the, that the genes encode respectively track A, B, and C. So um, That's easy. One, two, three, yeah. ABC. One, okay. two, three, ABC, right? Um, so like other kinase fusions, the kinase domain, the three prime domain of the kinase is fused to either a transcription factor or something else that activates and does downstream signaling, kind of like you see with mutations. Um, and track fusions have been around for a while. I think they were first described in colon cancer um, mm. and they're diagnostic of certain types of carcinomas. Um, so secretory carcinoma of the breast and salivary glands and in certain um, sarcomas, such as infantile fibrosarcoma. However, when the trial started, there started to be um, profound and durable responses to certain drugs, it became very important to test for them. The problem is they're super rare in other types of cancer. Um, so that's how this project began. And so, so, I mean, and, and that's uh, that's a uh, point that I uh, I wanted to emphasize. So while they're very common and uh, even pathognomonic in, in some of the tumors you mentioned, uh, including salivary gland tumor, including pleomorphic adenoma, which uh, which I wasn't aware, and IMT uh, and childhood uh, thyroid cancers, they're like less than one percent uh, in the others, but but in those tumors, uh, you can go as high as ninety percent, seventy percent, as you listed in the table, right? Yes, and so there's lots of different ways to test for it. You've got just to go through them: pan track IHC, 
which just tells you how much protein is expressed, then you've got more more definitive methods such as RNA-based fusion testing, DNA-based fusion testing, and FISH. Um, so there is disadvantages and advantages of these. At the beginning, when we started piloting it out, hand track IHC, it was because of the turnaround time. A lot of these patients really need to get on the trial. They're really desperate for the next therapy. And the turnaround time for IHC is like a day. Whereas when you do RNA-based NGS, it can be two to three weeks. Um, so that's where that came in hand. But for IHC, a lot of the time, you see this physiologic expression. So the protein is expressed. Because, pan, because NTRAC and track A, B, and C are, you know, can be expressed in just certain types of tissue, such as smooth muscle, neural tissue. And so for that reason, it doesn't have the specificity to be um, a conclusive test, but it has a good enough sensitivity, at least in NTRAC 1 and 2, to be a screen. For some reason, NTRAC 3 fusions by PANTRAC IHC are a little harder to get. Um, it's often focal or weak. Um, and so it's a little, it's a little tougher for NTRAC3, but in general, the sensitivity for PANDRAC IHC um, is fairly high. So just let me, let me make sure uh, I understand. So it's a, it's a pan-NTRAC, the immunohistochemistry, right? So it's covering the expression of A, B, and C, and what you're saying, but it's sensitive, more sensitive for A and B probably than, than C. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's right. So and and so the other method, which is the fish, how is that? Is that also cover all all type of fusions and and one, two, and three genes, or or is that just uh, specific? You have to do a fish for each one of them. So it's each one. So while I believe you can probably custom make them and track one, two, and three, you know, multi pro ones. Um, these are break apart fish, so it's not going to tell you specifically if there's a fusion. It tells you if there's a rearrangement, so there's a Correct. break in the gene somewhere. So you do NTRAC 1, 2, and 3 separately, and then you would need a minimum of three slides, but it would still be somewhat fast. Um, however, on DNA, yeah, like, but you can still see rarely a rearrangement without a fusion. It's very rare, but it happens um, occasionally. So NTRAC 1 through 3 fish can be really great for cases that um, are suspected to be secretory carcinoma or other carcinomas that are enriched in NTRAC fusion. So that by itself is often considered enough evidence. Excellent. And and when you're doing the immuno, you want to make sure that uh, you're, you know, I noticed uh, you mentioned some beautiful images in the paper where you're showing the pattern is different depending on the tumor. So you have to factor in the histology beside what you just mentioned, that it can be normally expressed uh, in, in certain normal tissues. But even in the tumors, the nuclear versus membranous and all that. Right. Correct? So that, those patterns is actually dependent on the fusion partner, not the tumor. And it can actually really help you in terms of whether something's just physiologic expression or it's really representative of a fusion. Hmm. So almost always when you have just physiologic expression, it's cytoplasmic. Sometimes the fusions also have cytoplasmic expression only. However, there are certain partners that have interesting um, patterns of expression that a surgical pathologist can note. So for example, transcription factors, which often locate to the nucleus of the cell, um, have nuclear staining. So for ETP6 and TRAC3, we've seen a lot of like a nuclear staining for PANTRAC IHC, and we didn't see wow. that any physiologic. And same thing with another recurrent um, partner is LMNA, and that's a nuclear, it encodes a nuclear lamin. And so LMNA like um, has a weird 
nuclear membrane like pattern of accentuation, Accentuate. even though it still has cytoplasm, it has that. And then for the tropomyosin ones, so that's another, a third recurrent partner, five prime partner, those ones often um, localize to the cell membrane. So there's certain things on the surge path side that can be picked up to kind of help. Um, it's still recommended in the NCCN guidelines, at least for colon cancer, that this is to be used as a screen because there's not that much evidence besides these, you know, these large papers that came out of MSK. Um, so it's still recommended that this be used as a screen, despite the fact that some of the part that some of the patterns are very characteristic of a fusion, particularly with a certain partner. Got it. Very helpful. So, so pretty much uh, seeing nuclear or these specific patterns, you can feel more confident. Uh, not yeah. only that, what what kind of fusion it is, but uh, as you said, not not a hundred percent definitive, but but uh, that you do have a fusion or you do have some rearrangement. Uh, so uh, uh, that's a little bit uh, before we we talk, uh, go even more geeky and talk about algorithms and recommendations. Uh, can you touch about uh, the resistance? Uh, do do intract yeah. drugs? How how good are they intract inhibitors? Uh, and I know it had to do with the basket trial, as you mentioned. Uh, how is is there a good response? And then uh, so although resistance? like these inhibitors, entractinib and lirotractinib are approved scan tumor, the duration can be longer in some tumor types than others, and the main mechanisms of resistance. Like you'll see with other um, fusions are point mutations in the kinase domain that block um, these small like molecule inhibitors from binding. So um, you'll see, it, I think it's like 623 is one of them, and it's 595 is another. And so these certain point mutations um, lead to resistance. And then there's drugs um, for those, for the point of resistance. However, um, in GI cancer specifically, it's a little different. So GI cancers are really RAS-driven, um, and you've even, we've even seen, you know, for example, you give an EGFR inhibitor, and sometimes these subclonal KRAS mutations come up. So that happens in GI cancers, which are RAS-driven, with NTRAC fusions. Um, uh -huh. So there was a paper published by another group. Um, the head author is actually now in Miami also, but he's at University of Miami, Emmy Coco, who showed that um, BRFB600E, KRAS mutation, MET amplification have all been found in different types of GI cancers ranging from pancreatic, so colon, and cholangio. So that way, uh, the the resistance is by by mutations bypassing that by going downstream. Just the downstream signaling is now mutated and and consistently activated, right? Despite yeah, the downstream or another like. Um, another uh, receptor tyrosine kinase, so MET is the same level, but there's still the mitogen-activated um, protein kinase pathway. So it's still, you know, as you were saying, same pathway, but there can be different mechanisms. And so testing Amazing. for NTRAC, like point mutations, won't really do it. Um, and uh, so these can be picked up. Like one way is by just testing the actual metastasis, but there can be heterogeneity and resistance, and CSDNA testing might also help with that because you could sample, like if you have multiple mechanisms, you would have Excellent. multiple areas. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, amazing how, uh, you know, we're chasing mutations now that we have drugs, chasing mutations, the same pattern, same experience that we early on encountered with EGFR in lung, non-small cell, it's, it's happening with other, uh, other uh, druggable targets. Now, uh, 
So uh, we'll talk a second. You, you touched upon the different methodologies and, and advantages. Clearly, the more expensive and complicated it is, it's going to yield uh, more information. Uh, but is there an algorithm that, uh, that is recommended now how to approach? Uh, can, you, can you just spend a minute talking about that? Sure. Um, so it kind of depends on which country you're talking about. <laughs> so for mm-hmm. Europe and Canada, other places with socialized medicine, in these cases, in these tumor types where it's really rare, they might do PANTRAC IHC up front because the smaller NGS panels won't cover these NTRAC um, fusions. Mm-hmm. But in the U.S., a lot of academic places and um, other ones are moving towards comprehensive sequencing. So either with a very large DNA-based panel or hybrid DNA-RNA-based panel. Well, there's not really a great consensus on which one to do first. Um, I think ESMO recently, yeah, there was a publication by ESMO and Annals of Oncology that did summarize um, the, for Europe, you know, this is the European Society of Medical Oncology, their recommendation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the molecular testing, either in the community or in academic centers, in the community, it goes to places, you know, like got Foundation and other places like Keras. So they're going to do a large panel testing and you get the NTRAC testing up front. So when you have advanced cancer, um, you're getting all the, the markers up front, TMB, MSI, mutation, and NTRAC um, fusion testing. And I would be on the side that that's probably the best way to go for a lot of these advanced cancers because a lot of these, there's such a long tail of rare alterations to be able to test for them all at once is a little more efficient. Then um, going back back one one at a time, absolutely, and yeah. uh, and and it is in this it is in the advanced cancers because there is a criteria when when to test and when to consider for treatment. Right, first you have to have the fusion, you have to have the rearrangement to be to be a candidate for treatment. Can you can you expand on that? Right. So being that this is a targeted agent um, and it's also you know very expensive, it's it's when a tumor is unresectable or metastatic. Um, so those are the patients really getting treated with these drugs. Um, but also NTRAC fusion testing is relevant for secretory, for, you know, as, I guess part of the diagnosis for, for those certain who, tumor types. For those where, where it's pathognomonic, like you mentioned, secretory. Right. Any idea why the secretory phenotype? Because it seems like to be a, a, a secretory breast, secretory salivary, and... Uh, and I have no clue. To the biology. And I also have no clue why, like, Pantrac IHC isn't that sensitive for NTRAC3 because the epitope is, like, proprietary. So, like, you know, like, the actual thing, you know, so I don't know. Um, I don't know wow. why the secretory carcinoma, like, is, you know, well, that particular fusion. I do project. know that there's other um, areas of enrichment for NTRAC fusions that the pathologist might kind of, like, it might be useful to be aware of. So for colon cancer, if you have a microsatellite instability high case, it's MLH1 mm-hmm. deficient, and you don't see a DRAF mutation, there's a pretty good chance that it will have a kinase fusion, um, one of various kinase fusions, but particularly NTRAC1 through 3. So those are enriched. Um, and those always are accompanied by MLH1 promoter hypermethylation. So it does seem like a parallel to DRAF mm-hmm. 600 And then there's silent lung cancers. So silent lung adenocarcinomas seem to be enriched in kinase fusions. And then we had um, an interesting paper. Um, Silent where, as as your the nor the expected driver mutations are not there. That's what you mean. Yes. You said, yes. Yeah. So, so when, expected driver mutations and a lower number of a lower tumor mutation burden that is 
you know, a lowered tumor mutation burden. And in all cases, NTRX fusions kind of like are mutually exclusive with KRAS, NRAS, and DRAS fusionsimity and EGFR hotspots. So, so you when you don't have those, you definitely want to do it. If if you don't have those and it's low TMB, you don't have the common player drivers, that's when you should, those are more likely to, to show NTRAC mutation. And we that mentioned the colon, and the colon and the, the ones that are MSI and BRAF negative, yeah. those are those. There were three papers that came out at the same time for the colon thing. And one of them was from Emi Soko and me and uh, Maurice Beltri's lab. And then there was a Japanese group and another group in the U.S. And then mm-hmm. for the lung, it was Rima Benayad from Sloan Kettering. Mm-hmm. And then there was another paper in breast cancer where, interestingly, um, the hormone-resistant breast cancer, so when, you know, full vascular starts to not work, those often had Chinese fusions, including NTRAC, and we had a case with complete response. And that's in Annals of Oncology by Dara Ross. Um, so there were lots of different... There is various different situations that people are starting to pick up where NTRAC fusions are enriched and it's just starting to like pick up in the literature because kinase fusion by NGS testing is still new, you know, the last four years, five years. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed how uh, ready in your mind are all these papers and all these permutations. Uh, I'm so impressed. Uh, when you're passionate about it. <laughs> Excellent. See, I mean, uh, for the audience, especially the young uh, fellows, and uh, this is uh, see how fascinating and and uh, and important this is. Uh, a lot of research so, left to do. Yeah, so let's let's uh, finish uh, with a couple of words about reporting. Uh, you mentioned uh, in in your paper and in your review that uh, there's certain guidelines for how to report and. Uh, Right. So that's this, these things are really important for molecular pathologists reporting out DNA and RNA and GS, um, as well as fish, and then for surgical pathologists reporting out the pandrac IHC. So all the surgical pathologists, when you report the pandrac IHC, it's important to know, you know that it's a screen, and it's not necessarily, you can't report pandrac IHC as positive for NTRAC fusion. You can just say pandrac is expressed. You can give an H score, you can give the pattern. But you can't really say an NTRAC fusion is present because it requires confirmatory testing by nucleic acids, either FISH or NGS. I see. Then for the molecular part, it's important to note if you have DNA-based NGS, whether or not it's like predicted to be in frame, whether or not the kinase domain is included, and what the partner is. So these things kind of help, you know, because you can have rearrangements, as we said, that don't result in fusion. And so if something is only involving the five prime domain of NTRAG doesn't have the kinase domain, you can either reflex it to an R- to a, an RNA-based fusion testing if this is um, DNA, or be, just be very careful in how you report it because to give this person an NTRAG inhibitor when you don't necessarily have a fusion, just a rearrangement of the kind of like uncertain significance isn't beneficial to the patient. So it's important to note like what you're seeing in the rearrangement. It's not Excellent. as simple as a KRAS mutation, I, you know. Yeah. No, nothing. Nothing is simple anymore. That's. Uh, simple. But uh, but it's all uh, to the benefit of the patient and and given the right drug to the right patient and and that's what all precision oncology and precision pathology is all about, right? Yeah, you know, trying to match a patient to a drug that basically makes 
you know, what we think of terminal cancer into more of a chronic disease. And so that's what, you know, what we're, the field is really moving toward trying to manage these patients so that they get a good quality of life and live longer. Excellent. And, and, and the response is durable. I was surprised, you know, the median two, three years pro- progression-free survival. That's, that's amazing because these are patients who have very advanced disease, like you said. And, yeah, it is durable in the majority of tumor types. In GI cancers, it's a little lower, around six months. Um, and specifically the colon cancer patients, you know, these are, as we said, they're microsatellite instability high. So they're also eligible for Pembro. And so, you know, like the oncologist will decide which one first, but hopefully they know the literature and what that Pembro also has great duration. And so, you know, these nuances where it's like, you know, we know that NTRAC fusions generally have this great duration, but some tumor types aren't responding with as long of duration as other tumor types. It's important to know too. It's a very Thank complicated you. field as we keep learning. This is, uh, uh, Jackie, this is uh, great. And, and it just goes to the point where, uh, where pathologists, uh, especially molecular diagnostic pathologists, how uh, they're more and more on the front line and patient management and, and those uh, and knowledge of these, all these nuances and sharing them with the clinician who's treating the patient sitting at the table in a molecular tumor board uh, and all that, it's, it's going to be more of a norm for all of us. And hopefully even GI pathologists, I mean, you, you represent uh, uh, how uh, the next next generation pathologist should be where you do a subspecialty, but also have the depth of the molecular, not necessarily do two fellowships or three fellowships, that's not what we're talking about, but to have the knowledge of the molecular in your subspecialty to be a really critical member of that diagnostic team and the management team, right? Yeah, and hopefully the next generation of pathologists, you know, is really bringing this, well, we're still doing a lot of research, a lot of this newer knowledge to the community too, so Absolutely. I guess that, yeah. So, Very important. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure and uh, I know I learned a lot and uh, thank you for uh, all that you do for uh, modern pathology and certainly for this excellent review. And I uh, hope to see you again on other podcasts. It was all my pleasure. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.